This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, guys? This is Bay, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. I actually want to start off by wishing you uh, a, I guess, a belated happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, just uh, a couple days ago. And and how old are you? Is it 36 or 37? 37. 37. Oh, okay. Get, you're getting up there. Now, see, I wonder, do you feel the pressure of almost being 40 as I do to almost being 30? Because my birthday is tomorrow. <laughs> you want to trade? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think when you say it like that, I, th- I think I should reconsider my ac- my options. <laughs> you know what? It's um, you know, I kind of stopped counting at thirty. So for me, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, I got two young kids as well, right? So everything is all about them. You know, birthdays for me are not not what they used to be, but I was you know I was able to spend it with my family, which was nice. Now I kind of want to start way back because. It's very interesting interesting to me. You hear about people, how they get involved in music and, you know, how they get their interest. You started singing at five in church. How did that all come to be? Like, was it one day you just decided, I want to get into singing and someone proposed singing at a church? Were you a very religious person growing up and that's how it came to be? Yeah, I think I think you see a lot of artists kind of sing, like, sing growing up in church. Uh, you know, I grew up going to church with my folks and... Yeah, I don't really know exactly how it all came together, that first performance. It probably was just a, a natural thing to get up and, and, and sing something. And it's been a long and winding road to kind of get to where I'm at right now at 37 years old, you know, starting uh, at five. But I think really things really took a turn for me when I moved to Nashville. You know, I was 16 years old, so it's been a long time coming. Now, like heart to heart here, Tebe. When you were little, were you like one of these people that entered the room and was like just everyone just like, pay attention to me, I'm in the room? Or were you more of a shy and quiet type, but then if someone found something you were interested in, that's when you came alive. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm much more of an introvert than, than a lot of artists are. I don't know why that is. I like being by myself. I like just kind of, uh, you know, keeping to myself. I don't, I don't feel the need to, to walk into a room and, and, and say, hey, everyone look at me. And, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of artists like that. I know them, you know them, but uh, that's not really the way I roll. I kind of just let my music speak for me. And yeah, that's kind of just part of my personality. I'm a little bit like I understand where you're coming from. I'm a little bit of I, I kind of the mixture of both. Like if I'm at a at a house party and I know a few people, I'll go socialize. Then I get like a, it's almost like a stand up comedian approach where it's like I'm almost like the warm up comedian where it's like okay, I'm gonna entertain you for a bit, and if I feel like I'm doing okay, I'm gonna continue. If I feel like I'm bombing, I'm gonna go away in a corner for a bit and try to regroup. That's kind of what my ideal is. So it's like I'm a little bit of an introvert and extrovert, but. I totally get where you're coming at from there. When you said you were you you're 16 and you moved to Nashville, I believe that is when also like you signed with a Nashville record company as well. Yeah, that is correct. I signed with BNA Records, which is one of the sub labels of Sony Music. Um, back in the day, it was called BMG, but you know since then there's been many mergers. But ultimately, yeah, I had a record deal with Sony in Nashville um, at 16 years old. Pretty crazy, you know this this kid from 
from uh, from Ontario, being able to to move to Nashville and, and get an American record deal that young. But I think it was a, a great learning experience. I, I've you know I've lived and breathed the music business my entire life, and I think this has given me the opportunity to just to learn about how this business really works. You know, because it's not only about the songs and, and the in the artistry. I mean, it's, it's, there really is a business. I mean, that's why it's called the music business. I, I've read up that. It- when you were like 14 and 15, you were in these like music competitions doing quite well in it. Almost like I, I look at it the equivalent of a public speaking. Like if you can get up and do public speaking to do well, you're at 14, 15 here, you know, basically ripping through the music scene. But the only other artist that I can kind of think of in my mind that we've actually had on the show that I think signed a record deal around, say around that same point or when he was young, was Adam Gregory you know, with horseshoes. And I remember watching him on TV and I was like, man, like you're like maybe 18. He was at, at this point, but I was like, geez, you're like, you're so young. So, I mean, at 16, say even younger than that, like what's going through your head when you're signing, when you go to Nashville, getting this record deal, were you kind of like stoked? Were you nervous? Yeah, I was a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, <laughs> I think I think when you're that young, you don't really know what you signed up for. You know, I mean, you know that you love to sing and you think you want to be a, uh, a musician or a star or whatever. But for me, it was it was just it was a really eye opening experience. I mean, there's a, there's a reason Scott Borchetta, you know, named his record company Big Machine because ultimately that's what it is. You're you're yeah. thrust into this massive machine, um, and especially if you have a record deal in the U.S. because it's obviously a lot bigger than Canada far as the industry is concerned and yeah it was just a, a huge learning experience for me that all that time i spent in nashville uh my first go around when i was so young at the end of the day i was still a 16 17 year old kid I, I did all the things the teenagers did as i was trying to achieve my my goals in the music business so it's been a lot <laughs> yeah and i mean it's crazy even when you think of it in terms of society today like i, I i'm not taking anything away from people that do it but you know, you've got so many platforms now where you have like YouTube, America's, America's Got Talent. It's like the voice where it's like, if you think you got a shot, go for it. But back in, I guess, the day when I grew up, I'm yeah, well, 29 tomorrow. But it's just all we had was pretty much in Canada was Canadian Idol. And it didn't really feel competitive enough to like an American Idol because you can name some people off American Idol. Like, you know, your Carrie Underwoods, your Kelly Clarkson's. Even people that didn't go all the way, they still ended up going somewhere. Where I feel like in Canada, our Canadian idols like Kalen Porter, I can't even remember the last name of Malcolm, and we had Melissa O'Neill, I think. But like, yeah, they have a limited number of success, but it's almost like it gets cut off or it doesn't go any further. So, did that ever like come as a route? I guess if you're 16 and signed, you're not really worried about it. But did you ever think of going the Canadian Idol route? No, not really. I mean, uh, yeah, we can kind of jump to, we can fast forward a little bit, but, you know, I ended up losing my record deal, I think when I was 20, and moved back to Canada, moved back to Toronto, and, you know, I didn't want to work uh, a quote-unquote nine-to-five job. I really just wanted to still be in the music business, even though I'd kind of been dealt this weird, you know, hand. And ultimately, I started writing songs for Canadian Idol. You know, I actually had two number one songs that I wrote for the winners uh, of of those shows, and, and that you know, that allowed me to kind of stay in the music business. So it's kind of funny how on one hand we're talking about how, uh, you know, it didn't, it doesn't really, Canadian I wasn't necessarily a, a star system in Canada, but then you have someone like myself who was never going <laughs> yeah. to go, but I was able to, uh, able to, to make a living for a while writing songs for those contestants. 
Yeah, and I, I actually I like the fact that you brought that point up because when you were mentioning about writing songs and the Newfoundland tie-in, I, I believe if I'm correct here, like Rex Gowdy was actually one of the people that you wrote songs for. Yeah, Newfoundland boy, absolutely. I love Rex yeah. Gowdy, man. What a great guy. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was younger, that was the big deal when uh, Rex was on the uh, Canadian Idol, had the white hat, everyone around. I believe this is junior high days that everyone would go out and get a white hat. And I was like, I got a white hat, but it has a Nike symbol on it. And people were like, nope, not as good as Sexy Rexy. And I was like, why? I was like, it's it's still a white hat. But no, I mean, that's, that's interesting because, yeah, I, I've noticed that you have a lot of just personally on your... Music side, you've done quite well. I I think I really like your song. It happened on, or is it like yeah? It happened on a Saturday night, I believe. Yeah, the the current single happened on. Yeah, a Saturday night. I love that. Like when I go on Instagram, I'm actually seeing, and Facebook, I actually see the sponsorship for it. But I was like, oh, sometimes I feel like I'm ahead of the curb because it's like I've found this video on my own before you told me to go watch it. I I think the the thing that I really like too about it is. And it's not to be a slight or in any kind of mean way, but sometimes when I'm listening to Keith Urban's Somewhere in My Car, it sounds familiar, but I'm like, it has, the chords sound familiar, and it's because it's something about a car and like a Saturday night, but I still think it's a great song. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, it's 2020 and we are well out yeah. of metal <laughs> and grooves and, uh, and, uh, and, and song ideas, you know, so it's getting it's definitely getting harder to... Uh, to write something that is completely, uh, I don't want to say original, but, you know, I do like a little Keith Urban. So, yeah, if you hear a little bit of him in there, I think that's uh, that's a compliment. I'll take it. No, no, I, I, that's that's kind of what I wanted to say because I like how you said with 2020, it's hard to write songs because, I mean, I, listen, I love Tim McGraw. I could give you, like, a top 10 Tim McGraw list, but, like, Truck Yeah is not on my top 10. There will be people <laughs> that argue it, but I'm like, the guy just wrote a song about a truck and put in Yeah. It's like in a boardroom meeting where it's like, Tim, you have uh, She's My Kind of Rain, classic, great. You did some songs with Faith Hill, obviously your wife, but those are great. What's your next song? I'm thinking about doing a song about a truck. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Do it, Tim. Like, are you going to tell Tim McGraw no? No. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny you should mention She's My Kind of Rain because um, my good friend Tommy Lee James wrote that song, and, and Tommy and I actually wrote uh, two songs for One Direction together. So it's kind of funny how Six Degrees of Separation got that going on there. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually had that when you were mentioning about One Direction. It was, I think, Loved You First and They Don't Know About Us, those two. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah I love those songs. And uh, I was actually very surprised. And see, this is where you kind of get underappreciated, Tebe, where we get the credit of looking at One Direction, Harry, Niles, and Liam, and yeah, the rest of them. No, I, I know their names, but uh, obviously those are like, you know, girls go crazy for it. They see the pop band, and then you don't realize that there are people behind the scenes that sometimes write this music. Like, I grew up listening to Britney Spears and Backstreet Boys, so I thought they wrote their own stuff. I was a little yeah. bit, uh, you know, a little bit uh, uh, depressed when I found out that Britney Spears or Christina Aguilera are singing about genies in a bottle, and it's like written by maybe a 55-year-old man or something. And I'm like, why? Why is a 50 or 5 year old man's like writing songs about genies in a bottle? But they know who they're targeting it to. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's half the battle as a songwriter if you're writing. Songs <laughs> yeah. For other people. Uh, you mentioned losing the record deal. Like, can you take me through the process of either what happened there, or I guess you don't have to, but like, how did that kind of make you feel like losing a record deal? Because you're 16. You you must have thought 
I'm going, I'm getting places. And then it just kind of feels like the whole world drops on you. Yeah, you know, I don't really remember it being as devastating as some might think it would. (laughs) Because, you know, when you're that young, you're full of confidence. And, you know, you got to remember that I had just, you know, I I had an American record deal. I I had one of the biggest managers in the world at the time, uh, a guy named Bruce Allen, who has, uh, you know, people like Michael Buble and Brian Adams and and, and all kinds of artists. So uh, I felt that even though I lost my record deal, I was still young. I think I was mature enough to understand that I was still young and had plenty of time and, and plenty of life ahead of me. So it wasn't really uh, world-ending as it might have been maybe for some other people. But here we are, as I said, 17 years later or whatever. I'm still in the game, still kicking ass. So, yeah, it's, it, 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 it just is what it is. I just kind of look back on it and say this is the path that was supposed to be taken. In terms of being 16, some people would look at it and say, oh man, like my whole world's crushing. And then there are other people that are 16 going like, I'm only 16. This is like an up for me. Okay, it's a minor setback. Like, it feels like you took the motivation or the mindset of, okay, this is a marathon, not a sprint. Because like, yeah, you just mentioned 17 years later and you're still going. So it wasn't like a sprint to success. And that is basically what the world that we're living in now where people see an artist that come to life overnight and we're all thinking like geez that person came out of nowhere but when you actually get to know the person talk to the person you see that no it didn't happen overnight there was a lot of guts and sweat and just a lot of things that go into making it in the music industry or in any industry really yeah i mean it's it's just uh it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you look back. You know, I usually don't I don't you know have these type of conversations very often, so I don't usually look back on on all the things I've been able to do since I was kind of dealt that shitty hand there. You know, um, yeah. might be, I was so young, but yeah, I just kind of say it is what it is, and, and I, I knew everything was going to be all right. This you're right. This definitely isn't a sprint. I mean, how many times have you seen a teenage star have a couple hits, maybe make a million bucks, and then by the time you're you know they're 26 years old, you've never heard of them again. Um, and they're broke. So I think that uh, it was a blessing in disguise. I'm glad that I'm having success at an age where I'm more mature because I think when you've been through what I've been through, it really makes you grow up really fast. And I think that's helped me deal with my journey through the music business over the last 17 years. When you're talking about, you know, the acts that have maybe one or two or three hits and they're broke by 26, like you do see... And it kind of becomes, I guess we're bringing it a little bit more to light just because we're in a world of social media, everything's outspoken now. But like the mental health side of things, like I look back at it now and here's my two examples. Like I look back at it and thought Aaron Carter was the shit because, you know, he's a young kid. His brother's Nick Carter, Backstreet Boys. Like you guys got to have it made. But then you see like he's still trying to come out with music. I mean, some tunes are great, but like, there seems to be a lot more there that is just unsettled with Aaron, for example, like from a mental health point of view. And like with the same with like Britney Spears, like you look at it and go like, great, she's had success. But like some people worry about like, OK, did we ruin Britney? Like, you know, did we basically take a very talented 16 year old and basically crush her with just the amount of exposure that we gave her? And I mean, in common sense, even Justin Bieber People like look at Bieber and go like, this kid grew up in our eyes. Did we kind of push him to the extreme? And I know that you're a big person to kind of talk about mental health as well. What like what's your relationship with, I guess, some of the stuff I'm saying or just your own experience? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, throwing a, a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid into this machine that we call the music business, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And I can I can speak for that because I did it. Maybe not to the extent of an Aaron Carter or, you know, the Backstreet Boys, but I still I still understand what they went through. It, it, it's grueling. It would be a, a grueling uh, and difficult experience for any adult, let alone a, a young adolescent person. And I think that's why um, a lot of young child stars or teenage stars have some pretty severe mental health issues as they grow up. And, you know, I can speak to that. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, I have some struggles with depression and anxiety because I was thrust into this business at such a young age. I don't think that's what it is. But I just think that, you know, as creatives, I think for whatever reason, creatives are sometimes more susceptible to mental health issues. If you look at, you know, some of the the actors that we've lost to suicide, uh, or artists over the last couple of years. It's just one of those things where where people in the entertainment business seem to be susceptible to mental health issues. And, you know, I struggle with it still to this day. I mean, I'm someone that you would consider successful. I think most people would. And, and I still wake up struggling with, with my own issues, uh, even though I, I live a pretty comfortable life. When you get the younger crowd coming up to you, just say if they're 16 or younger and talking about mental health, like I always kind of worry or question about, you know, where they're so engaged with like YouTube and social media now, like Twitter and Facebook, where like you put up a TikTok video, you don't know who's going to make a comment. And where it's so easy to make a comment on anything and be so unanonymous or, you know, people don't know who you are. You can say whatever, like the F you want. And you're kind of feeling like you're not going to see me in person. So why should I care? Like you can make a TikTok video of, dancing around your kitchen and someone starts poking fun at you from, I don't know, like Miami and you're in Toronto. And then that kind of affects you personally. Like, do you think that because of social media, we do get a lot more of mental health issues or is it the, is it like both pro and a con? Because I know with Twitter and stuff, when someone reaches out and says that they suffer, people see that in real time as well. So it's like a pro and a con, but like, what's, what's your take on it? Uh, I don't know. I actually, I really don't like social media, if I'm honest. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I don't get it. I understand it. I understand that it's great for, for someone like myself because, you know, the fans um, have access to me. Uh, they can ask me things. They can send me messages. They can, you know, uh, at me or whatever it may be. But I just, I just feel that I feel there's a lot of negativity on social media, a, a lot. And I think it's uh, the perfect breeding ground for hate and, and anger and, and there's just a lot of people who, who in their daily lives just really don't like themselves and they feel the need to take it out on other people. I don't know. Not a big fan of social media, uh, if I'm honest. If this, if all this, this music business stuff kind of goes away for me tomorrow, I really, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I would be much on social media just because I just, I find it very negative. I agree with you. I mean, even the concept of, you know, when someone says, you know, at me, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Like, I know what it's supposed to mean. It's just like tag me in something. But, you know, when you hear someone say, yeah, come at me, bro, or at me, it's like, it just sounds very negative. It sounds almost like confrontational. It's like when someone like when you're on the road or something, someone's like tag me in that. That sounds not as bad as, yeah, you're going to at me at that. And it's like, whoa, easy. It's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, you know, at and then put in my name. And then you're like, oh, okay, totally understand. But yeah, I, I believe with Twitter, and social media, it's it's basically like a cancel culture society almost, where it's like, if you don't agree with something, everyone has, I guess, like everyone has a right to an opinion, but it doesn't mean that your opinion's necessarily right. Like, you know, just because you don't like this, it's like, well, cancel it. 
or or try this on we don't cancel it and we just kind of you know go about our day with it i think the the generation behind me and i sound like i'm 60 or something but i think <laughs> uh the 15 and 16 year olds of the world need to take a hard long look at the way they interact with people and stuff you know again because social media it's, the thing is there's no accountability right that's the problem you can you can literally be hiding behind your computer screen and say the most the most disgusting and horrible things to people and there's no accountability for them for the most part um, yeah. because it's also really easy to be anonymous online so i i don't know i've had people say some pretty <laughs> recently actually someone said some pretty pretty nasty stuff to me completely out of the blue uh i mean i obviously don't even know this person they just whatever we're having a bad day and decided to go in on me for some reason but yeah it's just it's very very strange the the times that we're in you know social media and the way that people feel that they can uh, kind of just say whatever whatever they want to someone it's uh it's very strange <laughs> i think what happened with that one tebe is they seen your music video for it happened on a saturday night and they're like you know what things did not happen for me on saturday nights and i'm going to take it out on this guy because things happen for him on saturday nights so He's going to get the brunt of this. That's totally what happened. (laughs) But no, like I I agree with you. Like when you're talking about like, you know, the younger generation just kind of, you know, taking a hard look at themselves. Like I'll be honest with you. Like sometimes when I'm on Twitter or Facebook and sometimes it's just, I'm new, I'm from Newfoundland. So I, I, you know, it just comes naturally to kind of speak your mind, speak your opinion, be brass. But there are times that it's like my fingers will type away and then I'll wake up like an hour later and be like, oh, I wonder what, what did, what did my fingers type that has caused a commotion? And sometimes it's like, you don't like a music video or you don't like a, you know, a song or something. And you're like, you'll type to that artist like, ah, I didn't like this. This was kind of crap. And then like 20 odd people get on you and then you're like, okay, maybe I could have worded that a little bit better of, you know, why, why didn't you like it? Like explain what you did like. I feel like for every maybe negative you post, you should maybe write like five positives just so people don't think that you're outright hateful towards them. But the thing with the, the world we live in, as sad as I think it is, you could write 20 nice things to someone on their wall every day. And it's like, like, okay, ignore, ignore, ignore. The very moment you write something negative, that's when they respond. And I'm like, but I wrote you 20 nice things. Like, why are you focusing on the negative? Well, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of, you're always going to kind of, it doesn't matter what you say. <laughs> you could write, you know, I, I could post about the beautiful blue sky outside of my house <laughs> today, and someone would someone would find a way to claim that I'm racist. <laughs> I was like, it's just you're always going to offend somebody. It doesn't matter. I, once you get that through your head, then I think you're better off. Especially if you're in a uh, you know any position of celebrity or anything like that, where you do have more eyes on you than your average person. So I've learned to just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, I don't say anything that's offensive. I just do what I do, man. If people have their own issues and they want to take swings at me anonymously online, then that's something they need to deal with. Well, now now I'm offended that you're just allowing people to take swings at you. I'm, I'm totally offended. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think it's kind of uh, an interesting concept there about just just the idea that when you said like it's anyone can get easily offended, like, it's almost like they choose it. It's almost like if you put a picture up tomorrow of you sitting down at a kitchen table and your wife having a meal and you're like, you know, oh, my, my wife cooked me a great meal or like, you know, my my daughter's created or like, you know, gave me this ham and eggs and someone be like, that ham and eggs look stupid. Why are you making your child cook for you? It's like, no, who said, like, who said that? Like, why? Why does this bother you? 
I've learned to not care. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. that's three quarters of the battle, you know. I just I just don't care anymore. Yeah. Don't really give a shit. That should be an option on Facebook when it's like like, share, comment. It should just be like the actual person who posts it gets to comment back or with a thumbs down and it just says don't care. But then <laughs> someone's just gonna be like well, he don't care. It's like, but I feel like people get more offended by a thumbs up and a thumbs down than an actual comment, which is just goes to show where we're to. But you had played football in high school, and it's very interesting to me because a lot of people, and I don't know if it's just like a very kind of Ontario, I'm gonna call it like Eastern Canada thing, but like I, I I'm in Newfoundland, so I don't never grew up with football, but. You, for example, played high school football. When I go to Ottawa, I graduated from Carleton. There's, you know, people that love football. And Eric Etheridge, another country singer, played football. So is this something that's, like, embedded in your system? Like, hey, I'm going to be a football player, but I'm also going to be a country singer. Like, what's what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, you know, I had, a, I had a tough decision to make when I was 18. Because even though I was, I was living in Nashville since I was 16, I was actually... To be honest, I was doing um, you know six months on, six months off because I was playing football in Canada, in Burlington, Ontario. Football would be from September to January or September to, to uh, December. And then come January for the new semester, I'd be in Nashville. But yeah, I mean, I, I was pretty good. I was a high school All-Canadian. I got recruited to play uh, Division One football in the States by a bunch of pretty big schools, you know, UCLA and, and Northwestern and stuff like that. Oh, wow. But it was one of those things where... I just, I, you know, I had, I had a record deal, even though we were still in the process of kind of starting the record um, as an 18-year-old. I, it's not, that's not something I could walk away from. So I actually, um, you know, put the football aside and, and declined all those scholarships and ended up pursuing music. And, and luckily, I stuck with it because I'm still doing it today. It seems like you, you chose the right, the right uh, I guess, path. But it's always interesting to me because it seems like any singer or anyone that's really talented in a sport is also like some somewhat semi-talented in another sport like for example when we had Tyler Shaw on just I think a few months ago like he got recruited I think to like University of PEI and I can't remember which sport it was but I was just like okay so you chose music and then like Eric Etheridge also a football player but doing music so it's almost like hey like you guys are talented we get it stop don't don't rub all your talent in front of my face god like <laughs> but when you said about choosing the music side like i've, I've got it written down here but um like you know we shook hands uh man to man that had american success uh who's gonna love you number one in canada in 2018 i believe a number of stations have played that I believe you have, like, when I was doing a little bit of research, now I don't know a lot about the radio side of things and how they do the metrics, but, like, I believe they said you had, like, 10 or so hits that were in, or it could have been, like, five five or 10 hits that were in, like, the top 10s, and I was like, okay, so this guy, he's good at making music, he's good at producing music, it's like, geez, I get it, like, Taipei's great, like, God. <laughs> uh, you know what, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of songs that I write that aren't very good, you guys just don't hear them, so. Those are the ones like you're like you know bringing out on a bonfire or like a campground. They're like you 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 wrote this right, and you're like yeah no totally didn't no that's not me. And then you're like you go home, you're like it's not a number one hit. Don't worry guys. <laughs> <laughs> There's gonna come a day where people don't like the songs anymore. So I'm just uh, praying that doesn't come anytime soon. But I'm, exactly, I'm with it. I just uh, you know radio has been country radio has been great to me in Canada and, and 
I still got a long way to go. You know, I mean, it's the thing with me is it's been a long journey, but there's still a lot of fans out there who who know the songs, who know the hits, Denim on Denim, and Who's Gonna Love You, and but they don't know it's necessarily me. They just know the song. So <laughs> Tim McGraw, I am not. I've got a long way to go uh, as an artist. You know, even this past year in February, February was my first time doing a, a full cross Canada headline tour. As the oh, artist, wow. you know, my name is up on the marquee. I'm the one selling tickets. That was my first time this past year, so it's been a it's been a long time coming. The last thing we get everyone to do, Tebe, we we play with every Canadian act. If you're if you're up for it, it's called How Canadian. <laughs> okay, let's do it, man. All right. So the example I'm going to give you is basically just a story that like Canadians would relate to, or it's an example of you know. It's a typical Canadian story, basically. Like if you told it to someone, they'd say, oh, yeah, that's how Canadian. So the example that I gave is, well, actually, I'll use Sarah Nurse's example because I love hers. She said that it was a game between Canada and the United States. I slashed the U.S. hockey player and went to the the ref and apologized for the both of us. How Canadian. So, like, what would be, like, a how Canadian story in your mind? Okay. I actually have a true story, so I'm going to add this. Yeah, this is a true story. So I was in Canada a little while ago, and I pulled up. This was actually, this was during the COVID. Uh, well, I mean, we're still in it, but this was uh, kind of, this. You know, it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was, a couple, it was a couple months ago, but I was up in Canada, and I actually pulled up to a drive-thru. Um, I think it was a Harvey's, so I was getting my, uh, my original Angus burger and a poutine at Harvey's. The, the, the girl handed me the debit machine, it was attached to a hockey stick. So how Canadian is that? <laughs> that, that, that is, yeah, that's pretty Canadian. It's like, it's almost like, Hey, we don't have those. Like we don't have a device to attach this to use a hockey stick. It's like CTV news when they, when, when they were doing it in CBC, when they had to do that whole keeping the microphone so far away, I'm like, they're using a hockey stick. If they don't, <laughs> it's not Canadian. I thought it was quite clever. Um, I mean, because obviously you're trying, to, you're trying to keep your distance from everybody because of social distancing and stuff. And I just thought it was really clever. They attached the uh, the debit machine to the end of a hockey stick. I think it's brilliant. Very Canadian. Yeah, absolutely. I think the funny one that I think everyone can relate to as well, um, when you're holding the door open for someone and like you, they're a distance away and then you feel bad because you open the door and now they're like fake running to catch up to it. And then they're like, oh, I'm sorry I had you, made you open the door. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that you were that far away. It's like, the, it's like it needs to be a Canadian rule where it's like, hey, if they are not three hockey sticks away from you, you, you can close the door and not feel bad. But like there's times where it's like you open the door for like three people and someone's right in the distance. You're like, oh, I got to keep this door open because technically they're in my eyesight. And then they're running and then everyone feels bad. Well, let's just take a second to acknowledge how awesome Canadians are. The fact that we're even having this conversation is, uh, is pretty amazing. You know, I mean, I've, uh, I've, I've lived in a lot of different places around the world. And, and, you know, when they say Canadians are, are very friendly and apologetic and, and just generally good people, you know, they know what they're talking about. They're not lying. I, I miss Canada. I miss living there. I miss I miss the people a lot. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think you just you know hit the nail on the head. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Tebe for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob Sane. Thank you for listening, and good night. Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. 
Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.